0: And one of the things we did with Matano from the start was not try to reinvent the wheel completely, but to identify and adopt best in class open source tools and technologies.
1: Hi folks, welcome to HashMap on Tap. It is a wonderful day for a show today. I'm Kelly Coleffel, and I'm really pleased to be joined by Dawa Mon. Dawa is founder and CEO of Meltano. They are an open source data integration and transformation platform. Importantly, he joined GitLab as employee number 10 while still in college, later became GitLab's engineering manager and Meltano began as an internal project within GitLab. He's gonna talk about that a little bit more later on. They spun out as an independent startup in early 2021 while raising 4.2 million in seed funding led by Google Ventures. Today, Meltano has over 5,000 active projects every month and supports data integration connectors for almost 300 sources and destinations. Dawa, hi, welcome to the show. What are you drinking today?
0: Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I am drinking a beer from Belgium named Wit. In the original Dutch pronunciation, in the US, I think it goes by Hogarden. It is one of my favorite beers. And I live in Mexico City right now. And it's also one of the few beers from the Netherlands and Belgium region that can be easily found here in in stores and grocery stores. So it's a Belgian white style beer, which is what I usually go for whenever it's on menu.
1: Very nice. So you're in Mexico City drinking a unique beer that is that is not from Mexico. I thought maybe you'd have a corona or something down there, you know?
0: <laughs> the funny thing is, just like in the Netherlands where Heineken is by far the most famous Dutch beer brand, yeah. in the Netherlands, people don't really like to drink Heineken that much. There's so much yeah. better options available. Same in Mexico with Corona. It's obviously the most internationally successful and well known, but that's maybe more because of the marketing effort that's been put in than the actual like on the ground local love. So no, yeah. I'm going for a beer from a little bit closer to home than where I live right now.
1: Very cool. When I remember you mentioned the Netherlands, when I was there, I actually did a tour of the Heineken plant when I was nice. in the Netherlands a few years ago, had, had a good time there, I drank a little bit of wonderful Heineken beer. I have got a, I've got a German beer, Hacker, and I'm probably really going to mess up the second part of this, Hacker Schvor, I believe, Oktoberfest Marzen, it is a, it's a German beer, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try this out. Imported into the U.S. Have not had it before, but uh, looks really good, and uh, the initial sampling of it holds promise for sure. So, cheers, and looking forward to sharing it with you during the show.
0: Or Prost, as they say in both Germany and the Netherlands. That's right, Prost, Prost. All right,
1: Dawa, why don't you take a moment, uh, take us through your background. Mentioned your time at GitLab, the fact that you guys spun out of GitLab, and today your role as founder and CEO at Meltano. Just give us a picture of that.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. So we can start quickly with my background. And then that relates to how I ended up at GitLab. I started programming pretty early on when I was nine years old. I used all of the resources available online to basically teach myself. I came into contact with the open source movement really early. And without it, I absolutely would not be where I am today. And it also ties into uh, why Meltano and and GitLab are open source and why I'm so passionate about that. Basically, throughout all of high school from 11 to uh, 17 or so, I was doing freelance PHP web development. Somewhere on this journey, I joined a company that made iOS and Mac applications. Through this company, with one of my bosses at the time, I ended up co founding a company when I was 18 years old that built software for bed and breakfast owners to manage their reservations, their guest calendar, their um, communication with their guests, as well as their website. And this is where the connection with GitLab comes in because I, at the time when I was in college, used to go to as many Ruby on Rails conferences as I could find uh, around Europe. And one day that led me to European Ruby conference in Athens, where I ended up talking to someone who was also by themselves standing at a table. I mentioned I was from the Netherlands, and he pointed to the corner of the room where his boss was standing, who was apparently also from the Netherlands. So I started talking to the boss, and uh, his boss, a guy called uh, Si Sibrandi, or SID as he goes by now. Uh, he was working on an open source, basically GitHub alternative named GitLab, and it turned uh-huh. out that his parents had a bed and breakfast in the north of the Netherlands. So his parents started using this product that I had been building, and coincidentally, he and I kept running into each other at different conferences around Europe and the Netherlands until we won they asked me if I wanted to come join GitLab. And this was right when GitLab was going through its Y Combinator Accelerator program in Mountain View. So the entire team was there in a, in a house. I was back in the Netherlands because I couldn't uh, take the time off with my classes. My professors wouldn't have been very happy if I had done that. But I started working at GitLab as, like you mentioned, employee number one, I think number four or five on the engineering team. and gitlab started growing like crazy Uh, it raised seed funding just after y combinator and a year later i don't know the exact numbers but the company was probably at least 30 or 40 people uh, from 10 when i joined and over that time i was able to kind of grow into an engineering leadership position and i became the first engineering manager at gitlab at the time managing a team of 14 engineers while i was still in college so i you know, I finished college. I stayed at GitLab. I didn't see any reason to go and do a master's program. And while at GitLab, the company just kept growing and growing to the extent where I think we're currently looking at 1,400 people. Um, and for those who haven't hadn't seen the news yet, GitLab actually went public on the Nasdaq stock exchange in October. So uh, I had the privilege to see that entire journey from seed funding all the way through uh, through the exit, or rather the um, yeah the IPO. But somewhere along that journey, I had been in my engineering manager role for a while. I was starting to feel that craving of going back to the early days, having a small team, a kind of project that we can all rally around and where the direct impact of your work was just undeniable and incredibly clear every day. So I thought I might need to leave GitLab, which I was hard pressed to do because GitLab has this unique approach to remote work, which is one of the things that had me end up in Mexico City, as you mentioned. But I got this opportunity to move to this internal project called Meltano that had been founded into. 2018 by the data team at GitLab. And they were looking for an engineering lead. And they had a team of four engineers and a general manager at the time. We're talking 2019 now. I joined GitLab as engineer, uh, Maltano rather, as engineering lead. And then over the next six months, I worked with the team to kind of build out this vision we had for building an end-to-end platform for the data lifecycle, similar to how GitLab had been an end-to-end platform for the entire DevOps uh, developer operations lifecycle. In early 2020, after the project had been around inside GitLab for almost two years, unfortunately, we reached the conclusion that the numbers in terms of traction and usage and contributions didn't really warrant a full-time six-person team at the time so the difficult decision was made to reduce the headcount from six down to one thereby effectively extending the runway with the uh, budget allocated at the time sixfold so in march of 2020 i was left on the Montana project by myself pretty much with a challenge of turning the project around seeing if i could find a way to find that community enthusiasm and those numbers and that activity that would warrant continued investment from gitlab's side so relatively quickly i realized that the end-to-end vision at the time was just too difficult for people to kind of understand and and adopt uh, for them to really become active participants in the community and i realized we needed to focus on a more narrow vision, which ended up being open source data integration. So we decided to focus only on the first step of the data lifecycle, where we saw that the need for a great open source solution that brings in some of these software development best practices that I'm sure I'll talk about in the remainder of the uh, the call or the, the podcast, the interview rather. And with that pivot, which really didn't require much change in the product itself, it was more a matter of changing our positioning and the marketing material and how we spoke about ourselves. Over 2020, our numbers started growing like crazy, basically, uh, to the extent where by the end of 2020, GitLab had enough confidence to assign me some additional budget and headcounts so I could bring two more people on the team. And this is also when I, in collaboration with Sitsi Cibrandi, the CEO and co-founder of GitLab, um, decided that Meltano's journey would be best um, supported by spinning out of GitLab, allowing us to kind of spread our wings, raise external funding, and go our own way. Because, of course, GitLab, as a, as a massive 1,400 person organization was really optimized for that one product. And that one org didn't really have the capacity at the time to support to the full extent, a tiny one person, three person startup inside its walls. So in April, we officially raised funding from Google ventures, as you mentioned, now known as GV and as of June, we've been completely spun out of GitLab and our team has now grown to 10 people.
1: Wow. That is a great story. I I noticed, too, that Google Ventures was also an investor in GitLab as well. Is that where you had met the GV team?
0: Correct. I had uh, met them at a couple of GitLab events before, and, of course, through the process of uh, finding a great investment partner for Meltano, we talked to uh, some of GitLab's most you know, the, the the VCs that they had had the best relationship with, and it clicked really well with Dave Municello yeah. from GV, and he really believed in our vision, and he had come, kind of come to the conclusion himself already that there was an opportunity for better kind of developer style uh, data tooling, uh, specifically in data integration. So we decided to partner up, and so far, it's been a really great collaborative effort.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned too, kind of going through the process with GitLab. I mean, uh, you're you're right. I mean, a really successful IPO. In fact, I was looking at market cap is somewhere around uh, north of fourteen billion dollars market cap. So, pretty incredible what what the team has done. And we're we're fans of GitLab. Actually, at Hashmap as well, and and have been using GitLab for the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, just tremendous growth. What was what was the experience like when you had the conversation, as you said, about spreading your wings, moving outside of of GitLab? Was that an easy conversation? Was was the GitLab executive team very supportive of that? How did that all come about, and and how smooth was that process?
0: Yeah, good question. So I think it was remarkably smooth. The From GitLab's perspective, when the data team originally started Meltano, there was always the sense that this could be a, a product in its own right, a business in its own right. And from GitLab's perspective, the goal was always to create the environment that would allow that that Meltano project to really realize its full potential and in, in what it can mean for the data space and for the, the broader industry. And at every step of the way, we basically decided whether the incubation structure under which Meltano was founded still made sense. And over time, it became clear that GitLab as an organization very understandably was optimized to focus on one product, put all its resources towards that. And uh, it was always open to a scenario in which Miltano would spin out if we decided that would uh, be best. So there were some points where we realized that GitLab as an organization just wasn't necessarily set up for the fast decision-making and and moves that you need to be making as a company, you know, in the seed stage of its life. And GitLab and the executive team were completely supportive of this direction. Of course, GitLab remains uh, attached to meltano and if meltano is very successful then that will also uh, reflect back on gitlab i want
1: to i want to get in definitely get into all the specifics about meltano but uh, you mentioned having some pretty good exposure dawa to open source projects even early on while you were in school and so forth uh, any any data projects that maybe we'd recognize that you worked on as a contributor or a committer to uh, over the years that uh, that you wanted to call out i didn't
0: yeah, so my my foray into data really only started when I became involved with the Meltano project. Course, okay. I had been a, a user of, of data products for a while. I, I used all the dashboards yeah. and reports, but uh, my background is really more in web development and iOS and Mac development, Got it. back when that was still Objective-C, not even Swift. Uh, so most of my open source contributions have been to projects in that space. And then of course, massively to GitLab, which okay. sets me up for kind of bringing similar DevOps qualities into the data space
1: so let's so let's talk about just open source in general which is your approach with meltano and the impact that you believe you can have on the future of data tooling in general because there's a lot of different ways to go about getting a product to market building a community monetizing etc talk to me about your philosophy around open source and why this was the right approach for meltano
0: yeah one thing i believe very strongly and this is something that is also very much embedded in GitLab's DNA is that the best tools are built in very close collaboration with their users and if you have the uh, kind of the privilege of having users that are themselves technically capable enough and maybe even have actual programming skills so that they can be working right there with you in the in the trenches, in the issue tracker, in the code base, giving you directly their suggestions without having to go through like three layers of support and product managers and something. You as an engineer can talk to the actual engineer that uses your product and talk about how you can build a tool that will make them more productive than ever. You end up with something that is going to be better than what any star product manager team could come up with. And so I strongly believe that in any field where your users are programmers or very programming adjacent, like people in the data space, open source software wins out in the end because you can truly build something together and you can use all of the ideas and perspectives of everyone using the tool to continuously improve it. And these people themselves have the opportunity to not have to wait for any improvement they want to end up in the product roadmap of the company because they can literally just kind of verify that this is something that would be, that the company would be open to accepting to their product. And if so, they can put in the resources themselves to do it. One thing we saw at GitLab, which I was always extremely impressed by, is how some of the biggest GitLab customers actually had full-time engineers in their own employment working on GitLab, contributing back with functionality that were priorities to them that might not have made it up to the list top of our list uh, for a while. And this means that these people literally built GitLab into the tool that was more finely tuned to their needs than anything else out there in the market could ever be. And I strongly believe that in uh, data, uh, the same will over time result in the best possible tools for for the users.
1: Yeah, it's such a powerful model that community-based development contribution to uh, to software. I think it just especially in the in the data space when you can get all those different perspectives, all those different opinions in i was going to ask you when did the meltano as as a product when did it expand beyond just gitlab into the broader community was it like that from day one or did it, it it at at some point you said my gosh let's get this out let's get the word out on this thing was it for some period of time just within gitlab
0: Good question. So, uh, and the answer is no. From day one, we knew, GitLab knew, the data team knew that as pretty much everything GitLab does, this was going to be done completely in the open in collaboration with the community. GitLab has some pretty radical, I mean, radical is maybe not the right word, but some pretty strong policies around transparency and things being public by default. Unless there's a very strong reason to keep things private, you know, like the run-up of the IPO, things are going to be out there in the issue tracker for everyone to participate in. And we realized that Even though inside GitLab, the data team had some idea of what they wanted data tools to look like that were built with some of these software development best practices in mind. We knew that we also didn't want to get too narrowly focused on our specific experiences. And it was key from day one to bring in everyone else who might be with whom this vision might resonate, and who could help us build something that actually helps everyone.
1: Yeah, very, very interesting. That, that it's um, it's an incredible space to be a part of, for sure, this, this data integration, data ops space. What are the core tenets that, for, Maltano to the side, just what do you have to do to create a customer-delighting type of experience? Whether your customer is a data engineer, whether your customer is an engineer, whoever that is, how do you create a, a very delighting experience for customers in this data integration, data ops space?
0: Yeah, one thing that we find is just incredibly valuable and something that can paper over a lot of perhaps the current limitations of any type of software is making the users really feel like they are part of this journey. And like we are including them in everything behind the scenes, including the decision making, the prioritization, the the trade-offs that we're making between different things that the product does or doesn't do. So when building an open source community, we have found that it goes beyond just opening up the source code or opening up a Slack channel, you want the entire issue You want all of the handbook that that kind of drives how the company works to be open to everyone so that they can feel as much part of the team building this thing as the team that happens to be paid to do so. At GitLab in the early days, when I joined as team member number 10, our community of active contributors actually numbered in the hundreds. And I always felt like I was part of a team of, say, 500 people, 10 of whom happened to be lucky enough to get to work on it full time. But we never felt like more part of the GitLab story than, than all of these users that were doing it with us. And with Meltano, we're seeing very similarly, that is a data product by data people for data people. And we want to empower everyone who thinks that they deserve better data tooling to come find our community, these 1800 people that we currently have in our Slack community and hundreds of contributors in our GitLab repository and make it happen with us. And they feel not just as, as users who see a tool as it is today. And if they don't like it, they'll try something else. They really can see the direct connection they have to where it goes and the opportunity they have for uh, addressing any concerns they might have. And that creates automatically a tool that is far more tuned to their needs because they're willing to go through this exercise with us compared to building things internally for three years and then having a launch and hoping everyone likes what you came up with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think what you're describing is, you know, you look at the way that we're doing software development today, some of the best practices around that. And I I hear that really resonating in, in what you're saying. It sounds like, and I'd love your perspective on How are you taking some of those software development best practices and translating those into data team, building data products with Meltano, with the broader ecosystem, and how are data teams benefiting from those types of approaches and best practices today, in your opinion?
0: Yeah, so, Some of the software development best practices that I've been referring to, the kind of the main ones that make up DevOps are on the one hand, version control and code review. This ability to be able to have changes, not just being made in the live environment and never being able to figure out where they were made or never being able to kind of verify that they do what they're supposed to do before they go live. Another one is in continuous integration and deployment, which uh, is really a fancy way of saying automated end-to-end tests um, for every change you make so that you immediately see whether you accidentally broke something downstream. And then finally, What's really important is this concept of isolated environments, so that you are free to try stuff out on your local machine without any chance of accidentally breaking things in the, you know, the live dashboard that the CFO is looking at and they're about to present in their board of directors meeting. So these principles of of getting teams together in an environment where they can kind of iron out any potential issues with their changes before they go and affect their end users that are relying on it is something that we think applies just as much to the work data teams do as the work that software development teams do. And from my perspective as a software engineer and for what it's worth, I'm very aware that also kind of in some sense means I've got blinds on where I see everything. You know, if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, but that's also why it's all the more important that our team and the community has lots and lots of data people into it that can also kind of keep me honest when it comes to over-indexing on on seeing everything as a type of software development. But from my perspective, the work that data teams do when they build their data stack, doesn't look like, oh, you know, I I just pick five tools, one for each step of the life cycle, and then I pay for those tools and we use them every day, and that's the work I do. I see the data stack that companies build as a product in its own right, with their colleagues in the company that use the dashboards or notebooks as users of that product, with the dashboards and the notebooks themselves being features, and it being the data team's responsibility to continuously improve and and iteratively add additional capabilities to the data stack to serve the organization and these end users better. And if you're looking at the data stack as a product in its own right, where you think of the individual products as components that come together to form something bigger, rather than just individual tooling choices, uh, seeing it through these glasses of, we are developing a product, we wanna make sure that we can rapidly iterate and experiment, and we wanna make sure that everyone on our team feels confident proposing changes without being afraid that they'll accidentally break something is really key. And something you've seen in software development 10 years ago and you currently still see in the data space is that between the different tools that a data engineer might use, an analytics engineer might use, and a data scientist or analyst might use, they are really good at the tool that they spend most of their time in and very comfortable working there and making changes and knowing they don't break things. But the moment they need to use a tool that they're not totally confident in and they have this fear of accidentally breaking things, you have this wall where things get thrown over the wall and people cannot themselves as much be part of addressing whatever request they have because they think it's something that someone else in their team has to kind of own. And that communication becomes strained when you don't have all the different disciplines on the data team talking together in one place with a common vocabulary, which is one of the things that this software development approach to data tooling and data stacks addresses.
1: Well, you definitely had baptism by fire at uh, GitLab for, for a number of years, too. So I feel like, you know, there's probably nobody better suited to talk about how to do that in the data integration sense than you. So really, really interesting. When, when I look at you know, as a data engineer being very, very productive with Meltano, how long does it take me? What's my setup time, kind of my learning ramp? What skill sets should I be expected to have to really get rolling with Meltano and in the Meltano community?
0: Yeah, great question. So there's a lot I can talk about with regards to Meltano and this grander vision we have that we're starting to articulate and then how that ties into your question. But specifically today, if you go to the Maltano website, uh, or at least if you would have sometime in October, this is probably, uh, you're gonna be listening to this later. You will see that it's very much focused on data integration and ELT. And using Maltano for data integration and ELT is, is extremely easy. We have a 90 second video on the homepage that we we call from zero to ELT in 90 seconds, which yeah. shows how you can go from a, you know, a clean terminal window without any dependencies installed to installing Meltano, using pip, the Python Package Manager, and then using the Maltano CLI to add a connector for GitLab, a connector for Snowflake, although I think in the example, we might actually use Postgres, and then how you go about running a pipeline that takes all of this data from GitLab and loads it into your database, to the extent where you can uh, sign into the database and see the result having landed there, all in the space of 90 seconds. The only experience you're expected to have up front is some comfort around the terminal and command line interfaces, and, you will need to, not necessarily if you're just going through the CLI, but what happens behind the scenes is that some of these commands you run end up creating a directory on your file system with YAML files in them. So if you are using Meltano, uh, you will also occasionally be making changes directly in the Meltano YAML file. Although some of these changes can also be done through the CLI. So this is what it takes to run a data integration pipeline On your local machine, of course, if you then go into deploying this on an existing airflow instance, for example, or on an arbitrary kind of, you know, it might be AWS, it might be GCS, some kind of deployment uh, infrastructure, then that takes a little bit of additional work, but even that is a matter of hours, not more than that. So you can go from complete zero to having automated pipelines running in production in, in half a day, if not less.
1: Oh, that's incredible. And just looking over your extractors that you've got, those different sources and targets, I mean, you've got a tremendous amount of them right out of the box. And then it looks like the community has been contributing a tremendous number of those as well, another you know, 250, 300 on top of that.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's been amazing. We have the benefit of using this standard for data connectors, open source data connectors called Singer, which was founded by the team at Stitch Data, one of these kind of mm-hmm. you know, SaaS data integration yep. providers a number of years ago. And their community has been extremely prolific having built, like you mentioned, more than 300 connectors for different sources and destinations. Uh, this is almost double what you see with some of the non-open source alternatives like Fivetran. And there is a thriving community of of hundreds of people maintaining these uh, every day, making sure that they are on the latest API version and just improving the different types of endpoints they can uh, can support. And one of the things we did with Matano from the start was not try to reinvent the wheel completely, but to identify and adopt best-in-class open source tools and technologies and provide a platform on top of which these can be run and in, configured in, in an easier way than if you're just using them standalone. Yeah. So the technologies we adopted for ELMT are Singer and then DBT for uh, transformation and Airflow for the orchestration bit of automatically running these pipelines on a schedule.
1: So you're I'm hearing a, a dream tech stack there. Say, say that, repeat that one more time. So you've got Airflow, you got DBT, what else?
0: Singer. Singer is this uh, standard. And Singer, you're under, yeah, data Singer data taps
1: data. for your underlying uh, um, exactly. uh, integration and connectivity. Yeah, yeah. What about, is there is there a cloud data platform that you prefer over others? Is uh, good support across the board for the various cloud data platforms? I heard you mention Snowflake earlier.
0: Yeah, the the extent to which Meltano cares about what kind of uh, data warehouse you're using is just in the support of loaders that are capable of loading data into these okay. uh, warehouses. So we have support for Snowflake, for BigQuery, for uh, you know Athena. Basically everything you can imagine, exactly because the barrier of creating a new connector is incredibly low, especially with the Meltano SDK for Singer Taps and Targets that we published earlier this year, uh, which means that within a matter of hours, you can build a connector for a new source or destination. So anything that becomes popular, any new SaaS tool that that gains traction, um, you can expect to be supported by Meltano within a matter of days or weeks, depending on the energy of, of the community around that particular technology.
1: Am I able to, Dawa, am I able to plug and place a prefect for airflow and do those types of things?
0: Yeah, great question. So we are actually working on adding first class support for Prefect and Daxter. Okay. But right okay. now, there's nothing stopping you from using Prefect or Daxter to manage mm-hmm. your pipelines. Because ultimately, yeah. Maltano is only the payload of the pipeline. This this command where Maltano calls out to singer taps for extraction, singer targets for loading, and dbt for transformation. It takes place within your DAG within your operator in, in Airflow parlance. Uh, so you can continue to use your existing workflow orchestrator and just bring in Meltano for the specific ELT pipeline. But we are moving to a to kind of our broader vision where Meltano becomes the foundation of every team's ideal data stack, a modular open source data ops platform, if you will, where prefect and dexter, just like Airflow today, can be hosted on top of meltano and completely managed by meltano simplifying configuration and deployment to a great extent and dexter and prefect are are top of the list for us in in alternatives to airflow to support because while we believe that there's value in having a recommended set of uh, plugins or components that can get people started easily uh, we recognize that based on individual teams needs there is no one size fits all solution and we believe in in providing choice rather than
1: yeah. Hey, would you be able to maybe compare and contrast a little bit? I look at the data integration space. I mean, it's, it's, there are a lot of different categories and, you know, there's certainly overlap across, but you mentioned FiveTran earlier. Pure SaaS, you know, great solution. You've got uh, so you've got uh, um, solutions like Matillion out there that are uh, pervasive in the enterprise. You've got you've got a lot of clients that are you know building their own, just you know, Python scripting. You've got some traditional tools out there as well. You've got other open source, you know, Airbyte, some of those that are um, out in the market too compare and contrast like those key differentiators that you see dawa for meltano versus that the rest of the market where would I want to go say let me dig into meltano and and uh you know really take a hard look at it
0: yeah great question so there are a couple of kind of angles that we can take here. First of all, the difference between open source and proprietary SaaS solutions. We can talk about taking a data ops pipelines as code approach versus a UI-based solution where you're basically just pointing, clicking. And then there is a difference between... in between different open source data integration solutions in the standard for connectors that they support and the way that that community and ecosystem work. So when it comes to why open source is so valuable in data integration, one big advantage is the fact that the library of connectors that can be supported is effectively endless because we make it extremely Mm. easy for anyone in the community to build a new connector. Uh, Like I said, there's 300 today, and we actually had 10 more created over the last couple weeks as part of this Teptoberfest event that we threw. Mm -hmm. And you get access to way more sources and destinations than you do with one of the proprietary tools. One of the other advantages of open source is the ability to self-manage and self-host this uh, software within your own infrastructure. If you have specific security or privacy or compliance restrictions or requirements, for example, if you are dealing with healthcare data and you've got to be aware of HIPAA, there are certain limitations if you want to use one of these proprietary solutions. Not so with Maltano because it can all run in your own infrastructure. The other advantage compared to what you were describing with companies just building their own internal Python scripts is that you can tap into the kind of maintenance, you can lower your individual maintenance burden by sharing it with the wider community. Instead of your team being completely responsible for making sure a particular integration doesn't break, you can actually tap into the help of all of the other hundreds if not thousands of companies who probably want to use the same source. And there are big advantages to building your connector to a standard, in this case, Singer, instead of just building custom python script because a lot of functionality comes out of the box like configuration management state management for incremental replication monitoring so that you automatically get your pretty dashboards um, on the the performance of your connectors which is all stuff you have to reinvent yourself if you're building custom python scripts so what we are seeing a lot actually is that people coming People who adopt Maltano come from a dual world where they have some of their pipelines running with one of the SAS vendors like 5 or Matillion. Some of their pipelines are custom Python scripts. And they usually start by moving those custom Python scripts over to Singer connectors that are done running on top of Maltano. And then once they see how useful Maltano is and how easy it makes to run this stuff, they realize that the library of connectors Maltano supports also has uh, alternatives for everything that they're currently running with their proprietary solution. And then they uh-huh. start one by one moving over pipelines from Fivetran or whatever it might be to Meltano because the advantage of the standardization are really big. So that's it when it comes to open source versus uh, the, the SaaS data integration solutions. If you're talking about the approach we take where we bring software development practices, best practices into the way we think about your data pipelines from day one, you get these advantages of being able to version control your configuration and make changes without accidentally breaking things in production. If you go into the Fivetrend UI and you update your credentials or you check some checkbox that wasn't checked previously, you kind of got to cross your fingers and hope that it doesn't accidentally break something down the line in your dashboard in your BI solution. With Meltano, you get automatic testing running against your configuration so that you know if you broke something before it ever makes its way into production and code review and end-to-end testing and version control are exactly why we call Meltano ELT for the data ops era, because we believe that the data space will be benefiting in massive ways from all the work we're doing to bring DevOps to data in the form of data ops. Then finally, if you're talking about the different competing open source data integration solutions, the biggest difference is typically in the connector standard that they've adopted. So in the case of Maltano, uh, that is Singer, which is by far and, and unambiguously the de facto standard for open source data connectors today, uh, with the largest library by far, the biggest community, including uh, dozens of consulting firms that are experienced in building these connectors. And there are multiple data products out there that have adopted Singer to power their data integration needs. So this is a well-supported technology that has a lot of buy-in from different players in the community, and it is absolutely not going anywhere. And there are massive advantages to something that has been around for a few years, and that has kind of been able to detach itself from Stitch over the last couple years, and is now become a truly community-based standard. Uh, And we have actually recently set up the Singer Working Group with us and some of these other major players to keep pushing it forward. And the lock-in that you get from adopting an open-source standard like this is less than if you adopt a standard that is tied to one particular product, which is the case with some of our competing open-source data integration solutions that are trying to uh, establish their own standards and their own library of connectors from scratch, pretty much. And which reminds me of the famous XKCD comic that says that there are 12 standards i'll create a new one to uh to unify everything and then the next frame says now there are 13 standards <laughs> so we would much rather invest in singer uh, and we are seeing the dividends yeah. of that investment over the last year paying off massively and we are very excited about where singer is going
1: oh uh, really interesting and you look at you know making this leap to to where you are today i guess are you guys are pre-revenue right now
0: yeah, absolutely. We do not have any commercial offering yet.
1: It, yeah, and I, I didn't see any when I was looking at uh, at the company. What do you do? How, I guess, talk to me, about how do you think about, at some point in time, monetizing an open source solution in this data space? A lot of different ways to do it. A lot of things that have maybe not worked as well. Some things have worked pretty well. And maybe a better way of asking it, who do you think is doing it well? And then what are your plans with Maltano over time?
0: Yeah, um, good question. So one of the obvious routes, really, since one of the kind of the standard model of open source is that you self-manage it, you run it on your own infrastructure, and you never really have to interact with a vendor. One of the obvious... You know, business models then is to offer a hosted platform with SLAs and 24-7 support so that large enterprises can actually rely on this and know there's someone to call if things break. And it's not all up to them to keep it online, which is an approach that most open source projects uh, are taking. And of course, in the case of Airflow, there's astronomer who does this very well. Uh, Superset recently launched Preset Cloud, I think it's called, where they do something very similar. Uh, And with Meltano, we actually have an ecosystem partner right now who has stepped up over the last year to start providing hosted Meltano and they are called Singerly. Uh, they are not officially affiliated with Meltano, but we are. Uh, we have a great connection with their team and they also occasionally contribute back to Meltano. So they are in some sense validating the market for us there. And our plan is to somewhere in the course of 2022 set up our own official hosted Meltano platform that can then directly compete with the likes of Fivetran for those teams that do not actually want to self-manage their data integration infrastructure. Yeah. But we also... Before we think we're ready to start offering that, we have a lot more work to do on this broader vision we have for Meltano as the foundation of every team's ideal data stack, because we think that there's a big opportunity for a stable foundation that brings back brings together the various tools that make up the modern data stack and allows teams to interact with it as a single unit and that has full visibility into all the different tools and their configuration and how they interact, which is ultimately what we want to start offering on our hosted platform, yeah. not just ELT. The other direction we can go in with the business model, and this is something that has been really well done by GitLab and now is being replicated by the entire industry is what's called open core. It means that the core of the product easily, you know, where 60, 70, 80% of the functionality goes, is completely open source, available for free. And that is ultimately where 90 to 95 of the users end up on. But then Based on the needs of the specific buyer persona, which which is why this model is called buyer-based open core, you can have different tiers of enterprise functionality that targets not just the individual data engineer, but their manager or their chief data officer or chief uh, CIO, whoever it might be. And based on the questions and requests you get from those people, you can decide what is the functionality that goes into the free edition so that every small data team in the world can be incredibly successful with this product, and what is the stuff that is so kind of unique to enterprise organizations that have the budget to pay that we can make that additional functionality paid so our expectation is that we will also have different tiers of functionality in the same much the same way that gitlab has done this as another kind of angle that we can use to commercialize which is in some sense separate from the hosted versus self-managed approach because GitLab, for example, and I expect that BitMontana will have the same. There are a lot of companies that do like self-managing and having things completely in their firewall, especially when you're talking about sensitive data, but that still have a need for this additional enterprise functionality.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you're right. I mean, there, there are some companies doing that really well. I think you mentioned dbt earlier, you guys are using dbt for transformations. They're doing a nice job of providing that dbt core, free core essentially, which has yes. tremendous functionality, then monetizing on top of that with dbt cloud, bringing in some orchestration, some additional security features, those types of things. And I'm in agreement with you. I think there are multiple models that could work. Personally, I do like that free open core with that additional uh, advantage, additional features, call them enterprise features maybe, that you grow into. Seems like that's working pretty well for a number of companies right now.
0: Yeah, I I really like it as well. One of the things that has always really motivated me about open source software and this way of building products is that it is truly available for everyone. Like it's not just limited to those who have the financial means to, to use the tooling, because I firmly believe that everyone in the entire world can benefit from better data, better data tooling and that every Mm -hmm individual's decision-making, any organization's decision-making will be better for it. And I think it's kind of sad that those powers in some sense are limited to the top, maybe it's 20, 30% of the world. Uh, Living in Mexico City, I can see firsthand all of the amazing startups that are standing up here and they're incredibly talented teams with the caveat that they just do not simply have the financial means of, of big companies in the US or Europe, and we want to level the playing field in some sense. And I think that open source software is an amazing way to do that. And you can also relate this back to me as a nine-year-old programmer trying to kind of un- leash my creativity on this computer that was standing on my desk and being able to do things that otherwise would only be affordable to you know people at least uh, 10 20 years yeah. or senior being able to just grab that stuff online and start hacking away with it is extremely powerful and we think data deserves the same
1: I, I agree. Hey, uh, Dal, what what types of what types of organizations are using Meltano today? I'm thinking is it is it small medium, is it are there some enterprises out there, is it traditional industries, is it tech companies, is it give me a sense for in in your opinion, who's part of that community, who's really uh, driving a lot of the not only the new development with Meltano with you guys in the community, but who's using it on a daily basis?
0: Yeah, great question. So we are seeing um, in our users a profile of, on the one hand, data engineers who have been exposed to software development enough and or have had you know, software development teams in their organizations, and they've been a little bit jealous of the types of tooling available to them. And on the other hand, we are seeing people with software engineering backgrounds explicitly who now have been tasked with some kind of data challenge and have been similarly disappointed by the state of data tooling, which doesn't really fit in this, I want it to be version controllable, I want to have end-to-end testing expectations that software engineers come in with. So on the one hand, we are seeing really small startups that might only have one engineer on, on their payroll at all, one person that has this really broad kind of portfolio of technical responsibilities, and they have now been tasked with setting up the data stack. And for them, Miltano yeah. is like coming home. It, it feels amazing. At the same time, more established companies, maybe more kind of medium, although not medium-sized, not necessarily enterprise, where you have these teams that are also empowered with their own tooling decisions, which is something which in software development we've come to take for granted where software developers many times pick their own tools and then they tell their boss like well now you're going to have to pay for this while a lot of organizations it works the other way around where the uh, higher ups kind of choose tooling and then they tell their team this is what you're going to use so in the companies where that model is still followed picking up Meltano as an early uh, adopter is just less likely to happen. But in those organizations where those teams do have that uh, power, they're picking up Meltano and replacing, like I said earlier, primarily their custom Python integrations with it initially. As far as industries goes, tech companies tend to have larger data teams and they tend to be more kind of set up for this early adopter style of working. But we are seeing a lot of non-tech companies as well, exactly because those are likely to have small tech teams or they just have a you know, an IT department that does everything. Um, And for them, especially open source software that you can self-manage and where if you want something that isn't supported yet, you can just throw a couple hours at it and now it does it, is a better model than uh, going with an off-the-shelf solution that Uh uh, is not really set up for the, the tiny data team way of working so no. uh, out of who our users are right now big enterprises in some sense are the last to get on board but that's not uncommon with new open source software but otherwise we're seeing a really nice breadth of companies examples that are using us today are remote hacker one GitLab itself of course and there's a couple more but i'm not sure yet if i uh, am allowed to mention those but these are all well-funded okay. tech companies that have awesome. large data engineering teams with a lot of freedom to choose their own tools
1: Hey, was that, uh, I was going to ask, was that seed round with Google Ventures, was that tough to raise or was is that just kind of a, a natural progression for you? Is Do you see right now for Meltano that raising capital is going to be difficult or, or relatively straightforward with a lot of folks sitting at the table saying, I want to get in with you right now?
0: It's definitely more the latter. Uh, in some part, of course, that's just a consequence of the extremely cash. I don't know what the right word is, but there's so much money flowing around right now. Yeah. And uh, raising, I think, has never been easier. Going through yeah. this process to raise for Maltano with Sid, the GitLab CEO, he also remarked how things have changed compared to when he was doing this seven years ago. Of course, it does help, and especially with that initial seed round that we had that very, very positive association with GitLab. Maltano coming out of GitLab gives kind of immediate confidence in what we're doing. And of course, my history there too gives confidence in, in you know our potential to actually Pull this off in the data space but we are we get emails from VC firms every day trying cool. to kind of warm up the connection uh, ahead of our eventual a rounds and the timeline for when that might happen uh, which i'm not going to talk about publicly yet but it has already been kind of narrowed or tightened significantly compared to what we were originally thinking, which means that we are also in a position where we can ramp up our spending through the rest of the year a little bit. So like I mentioned, the team today is 10 people. Uh, We hope to be 21 by the end of the year. And uh, if anyone listening thinks that, uh, you know, they might have something valuable to bring to the table, please do check out the careers on our website. Uh, We'd love to have you. But that is definitely possible in part because of this crazy fundraising environment uh, that we are in today
1: are is uh, is a hiring mostly on the product and engineering side
0: mostly yes out of those yeah. 11 hires like four or five or so are on the product engineering side the other half are really on marketing oh, really? we don't okay. have a sales department yet there's really no nothing going on in on that side of the of the of the company yet the most important thing right now is to grow the community make really yep active contributors. And in some sense, it's more valuable for us right now to invest in marketing and get five more active contributors than it is yeah. to hire five more full-time developers because ultimately a project like this very much banks on the community that it can create around itself. So product engineering and marketing uh, and community um, developer relations stuff are where it's
1: at. And now this has been a fascinating, really interesting stuff. I wanted to ask you though, before we wrap up here in the next couple of minutes, could you do a lightning round with us? Oh, let's do it. These are simple, simple questions. All right. First of all, technology you cannot live without in your role at Meltano.
0: Ooh, okay, this is a one that I picked up recently. It's called Reclaim.ai. It's pretty much a smart calendar assistant that helps you schedule your your lunch and your recurring, I wanna have two hours of focus time every day around the events that people schedule. And it doesn't mark those events as busy until there's only one remaining slot in the day. So instead of having to block off ahead of time your lunch hour and then blocking off potential times for people to schedule meetings, Reclaim.ai helps you basically uh, have your calendar as open as possible up to the point where it needs to start blocking off time for you to get your uh, tasks in.
1: I like that, reclaim.ai, I'm gonna have to check that one out. Yeah. Hey, do you have a a go-to cook-at-home meal or takeout delivery meal that you really enjoy in Mexico City?
0: Ooh, um, I I have to go for tacos al pastor, which is the traditional taco of Mexico City. Um, They are absolutely Mm. delicious. If you ever have the chance to come visit, they cannot be uh, not on your list.
1: Oh, sounds wonderful. What about, is there a favorite kind of leisure spot or or area that you enjoy in the city, in Mexico City there?
0: Yeah, one thing I've really liked uh, with the pandemic, because I moved to Mexico City just ahead of it, is have, living really close to Parque Mexico, uh, Mexico Park, which has this really big kind of square in the middle where you can just kind of sit on the side with a book and just observe hundreds. Now, well, not hundreds during the mm. pandemic, but at least dozens of people. Some of them are, you know, taking dancing classes. Other ones are doing, trying to do skateboarding. There's always people just playing soccer there, and it's so nice cool. to get a little look into this community we live in, even when in the beginning of the pandemic we were not allowed to really directly interact with them
1: yeah very nice very nice all right this one's always tough what do you what's your go-to for unplugging from tech for a while anything that you do that you really enjoy
0: i gotta say just after work going for a walk in the neighborhoods and then finding some dinner spot with my wife and just kind of chatting about everything except for work um that that always helps
1: i like that i like that is there another company that you're watching closely right now
0: well, we've mentioned them a couple of times, and I think they're a really big example for how the data space is changing and adopting more software development best practices. Uh, which is DBT Labs. Yeah. Um, they they are obviously amazing. We're also happy to collaborate with them. And I also want to call out the the, the roundup uh, newsletter that Tristan Handy writes. Um, there's a lot of content in there that also relates to this kind of DevOps way of thinking about software development that we are uh, jumping into. So DBT, Lab, DBT Labs definitely an example.
1: Yeah, he changed the name from data science roundup to analytics engineering roundup recently. I've I've been following that newsletter for a while. Really, really enjoy it and all the cool stuff that Tristan and the team are doing. It seems like DBT comes up on just about every show that I do. So they're they're doing some cool stuff.
0: They're getting so much free advertisements.
1: I know it. I know it. Now, thank thanks so much for joining the show today. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing about all the cool stuff you guys are doing to grow the Meltano community and make an impact in the data integration and data ops space.
0: Thank you so much, Kelly. Glad to be here.
1: Uh, absolutely. Thanks everybody for listening in today. We really appreciate everybody. Encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, visit us at hashmapink.com, and as always, send us any feedback or comments. We will see you soon on another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap.
0: Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions
1: for the podcast, please visit the HashMap on Tap page on HashMap's website.
0: We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.